Ed Stetzer is a renowned missiologist in the evangelical world. And he tells a story of a time that he was at a, invited to a conference with, with many people from many different faith backgrounds, not, not just other denominations, but, but other religions. And he was sitting there in these meetings of, of fellow missiologists amongst these various religions. And Stetzer said, I quickly realized that I might be in the wrong place. The, the presenter was talking about how the faith groups could work together to share information, to share demographic information, to share interest levels, so that all the religions, all the faith groups could grow equally and develop together within the community. Stetzer said that at the appropriate time, I put on my best smile and I timidly raised my hand and I said to them, this is Stetzer speaking, I said to them, while I think it's the materials that you have are great and while I think it's great to understand demographics and all of us should take advantage of understanding demographics, I'm not interested in helping other religions grow. Because the mission of my church is in fact to convert some of you. He said many of the people in the room were looked at him with disgust, but he said then there was an iman, a Muslim, Muslim iman that raised his hand and said, I agree with him. What Stetzer said is so offensive to our modern psyche. What would make him say a statement? What would be considered in our modern society a cringe-worthy statement? Acts chapter 4. While you're turning there, I want to say thank you to Pastor Matthew for his wonderful sermon last Sabbath. I was so blessed. Uh, my family, we were blessed as a family. Uh, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful message. And, and if you didn't hear it, I want to encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel, Spencerville Church's YouTube channel. Go to Facebook and find the message. I also know that we appreciate every now and then a break from our sermon series, and he gave us a little break from the book of Acts. But, but today we are back in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. And just for review, because Acts chapter 3 rolls into Acts chapter 4, obviously, but in more ways than one. But in Acts chapter 3, two weeks ago, I preached about how, how there was a lame man. There was a man who could not walk, and he was sitting outside of the temple. And, and Peter and John came and healed this man. And he got up and he walked, and, and, and the people there were amazed that this man who had been lame for 40 years is now walking. And they wondered how this was possible. And Peter and John, rather than shying away from the moment or saying, hey, we just wanted to do good, they used their good opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Chapter 4 shows us the results of the disciples taking advantage of the moment to tell people about Jesus. The priests, 
and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, now the Sadducees were actually upset about this because the Sadducees did not believe that, that there was actually a resurrection from the dead. So they were upset about that, but there was a bigger issue going on, and we'll see that in just a moment. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening time, they put them in jail until the next day. So now they have to stay in jail because they took advantage of the opportunity to share with people about Jesus. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men, it's not counting women and children, the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, listen to this, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how was he healed, then know this. Here they are taking advantage of the situation again. Listen to what he's about to say. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. They were preaching. They were thrown in jail for, for preaching about Jesus. And now they are back in front of the courts and they're saying, whose name did you do this? And, and they don't just say, well, it was Jesus. No, Peter starts to preach again. It was Jesus of Nazareth whom you killed. The stone you built, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. Jesus has become the cornerstone. And then verse 12, salvation is found in no other, no one else, for there is no other name, the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they, that is the leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Do people take note that we've been with Jesus on a daily basis? But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. So they're saying, hey, get out and we're going to deliberate about what your consequence is going to be, what, what we're going to decide. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, a miracle in other words, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any, any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. You know, when the devil wants to stop us from doing something, he discourages us from speaking in the name of Jesus. Think about that. Don't, don't be too bold about speaking in the name of Jesus. I said, look, so this doesn't go any further. So this doesn't spread anymore. We're just going to tell them this one thing, not that they can't heal, not that they can't do good works. We're just going to tell them to not speak and give credit to the name of Jesus. So they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen, Jesus. We cannot help speaking about what we have heard, Jesus. Jesus. 
what would make Ed Stetzer say such a politically incorrect thing? The mission of my church is not to grow your face. It's to grow the Christian church. What would Ed Stetzer, make Ed Stetzer say something like that? It is found in verse 12, which says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Do, y'all, do you believe that? Do you believe that, that in your heart that Jesus is the only way of salvation? Ed Stetzer was sitting in a room and he's hearing people say, we want you Christians to help the Hindus grow. And we want you Christians to help the, the Muslims grow. And we want you Christians to help the, the Jews, Jewish nation grow. And we want you Christians to help the, the Buddhists grow. And Ed Stetzer said, wait a second. I believe that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus. And my church, the Christian church, exists not to help those churches grow, but to help the church of Jesus grow. Jesus is the only way. I can't be part of this plan and mission to help all your face do better. Such a universal claim is offensive to our world. Such a position by a preacher, a Christian, they say, oh, that's another example of Christian arrogance. Maybe even many of you listening here today, this message right now would find such a universal moment, statement, offensive. And if we aren't offended, at least we can admit in that moment we would be uncomfortable. Like, yeah, I'm not with him. Because we are a pluralistic society and growing more so every day. We are offended or at least uncomfortable because our pluralism says that, you know what? We should not say we're better, not we're, that what we believe is better than what someone else believes. Great evidence of this truth that we are pluralistic was found on the floors of Congress this past summer. You might remember there was a U.S. House representative who also happens to be an ordained minister of the United Methodist Church who prayed a prayer. And he concluded his prayer. It was a very nice prayer. I listened to it. But he concluded his prayer in this way. We pray, we pray, these are exact quote, we pray all this in the name of the monotheistic God, the Hindu creator God Brahma, the God known by many other names of many different faiths. Amen. Wait, he said we pray this in the name of the monotheistic God, in the name of Brahma, the God of the Hindus, and in the name of the God who is known by many different names and many, the God's known by many different names and many different faiths. This flies directly in the face of Jesus' words, which are found in John chapter 14, 
who said, anything you ask for in my name, it will be given to you. Jesus was very specific. It was his name that had the power. Not, not the name of Brahma, not the name of some other religion's face, but his name. And now Peter, Peter is standing there and he's saying, there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Such a universal statement is considered arrogant in our pluralistic society in which people tell Christians, including we tell our own communities, try to fit in more. Don't stand out. Don't overemphasize the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said this. He said this when he was speaking to a group of, of new converts. He said, I came to you with the desire to know nothing else among you except Christ and him crucified. That is a pretty universal idea. I didn't come here to teach you about leadership practices. I didn't come here to, 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 to tell you how to be the best at this or the best at that. I came here to, to teach you one thing and to help you understand one thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm not here to join in some interfaith dialogue where all sides are presented as equally relevant and qualified. I'm here to tell you about Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. Back to Acts chapter 4. The disciples, Peter and John, because of talking about Jesus, they were put in jail. And what do they do as they get out of jail? They start talking about Jesus again. And the leaders tell them, what do the leaders tell them to do? They say, do this or else. Have you ever said that to your kids? Do this or else. It's such bad parenting. I've done it, so I'm not criticizing you. Do this or else. They tell them. They call them back and they say, no longer speak in the name of Jesus. And then they are threatened. Their lives are literally threatened. But here is their answer. Verse 19. Peter and John, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen, Jesus, or what we have heard, Jesus. In our pluralistic world, it can be hard to hear such a universal statement. But the picture that the disciples were painting all over Jerusalem was this. The teachings of Jesus, the, the truth of Jesus, the movement of Jesus, the, the church of Jesus, the body of Jesus, the name of Jesus. They are superior to all other ideas and all other faiths. That is the gist of the disciples' message. And brothers and sisters, it was true then, and it is still true today. Jesus and the kingdom of Jesus is still superior. And we should not shy away from that. It is not superior because of you. And it is not superior because of me. It's superior because the name of Jesus, because Jesus is the one who saves us from our sins. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. That is why when Ed Stetzer was sitting in the room, in that room, and he was being told by a Christian organization, 
and by other Christians to help other faith communities, other religions. Share your resources with them so that they too can grow. He said, I can't do this because my mission is to tell all of these people who you're asking me to grow to, to leave their banners and come and stand under the banner with the name of Jesus. Because salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. No other name but the name of Jesus. Pastor, pastor, that, that was then. This is, a, this is a different age. This is a different age. Okay, we could, we could naively, we could naively try to excuse our lack of witness and say, this is a different age. We have to be gentle with the way we talk to people now. This is a different age. We're a pluralistic society and we have to work our way into it. Peter and John did not live in the age that we live in. Hey, guess what? Peter and John lived in just as pluralistic a society as we do. We'll see that as we continue on through the book of Acts. Peter and John in this story are running into another major worldview. The viewpoint, the worldview of the Jewish nation. This view, this worldview was that Jesus was just another man. That he was not the savior of the world. That was one alternative view in their day, but there were a multitude of other alternative views. They didn't just run in, have run-ins with the Jewish nation. They also ran in had run-ins with the Roman world as well. And all the Roman world's various gods. Later on in our study, we'll see in Acts chapter 19, in a future sermon in Acts chapter 19, that the disciples had a major confrontation because they were preaching the name of Jesus in a city that strongly believed in the goddess Diana, or Artemis as she's known. One of the teachings of the Roman world was this, was this, that everyone can worship their own God as long as they also say Kaiser Curios, which means Caesar is Lord. And not only did Christians not say Kaiser Curios, Christians said Christos Curios, Christ is Lord. Would any of the disciples have ever stood in front of the masses and prayed, all this we ask in the name of the monotheistic, monotheistic God of the Old Testament, in the name of the goddess Diana, in the name of the Lord Caesar. They would have never done that. But they were in just as pluralistic society as we are. And by the way, the risk for them to go against this pluralism was their freedom. Peter and John were thrown in jail because they were talking about Jesus. It was their, their money. Read the New Testament. Re read the churches in the book of Revelation. Jesus is writing to people who have lost their jobs, who have lost all their possessions, and he's saying, just hold on. You spoke in my name and trust in my name that I will see you through. 
some of these people, because they refuse to bow to the pluralism of society and instead to, to proclaim boldly the name of Jesus, they lost their own lives. In fact, history states that all the disciples except one died as martyrs for Jesus Christ because they were bold enough to proclaim the name of Jesus. What is the risk to us today? We don't want to be an outsider. We don't want to have to have an awkward conversation. We don't want to make people uncomfortable. So we hesitate to say that Jesus is the only way. Now let me hearken back to our our last message. I want to remind us here, because this is important, what led them to the opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus so boldly. It was their kindness. They said, are you condemning us for a kind act to another man? No, they weren't condemning them for that. They were condemning them because they were doing it in the name of Jesus. But it was their kindness, their good acts, that gave them the opportunity to stand up and say, it's because of Jesus. And Jesus is the one we must follow. They were not out there proclaiming the name of Jesus for their own power or their own prestige. I agree with N.T. Wright who said, no other name. People say this is arrogant or exclusive or triumphalist. So indeed it can be if Christians use the name of Jesus to further their own power or prestige. When we try to force our religion into the political world and do so in the name of Jesus, which it does not teach us anywhere in the Bible to do that. And something that the disciples never did. When we spend our time fighting for laws in our land in the name of Jesus, something the disciples never did. When we try to install other, our religion, religious leaders, simply so that we can have power in our world and in our nation, something the disciples never did, that is indeed arrogant and exclusive to do those things under the name of Jesus. But when we are in the community helping people, when we are helping to heal the lame and give sight to the blind, when we are ministering to our neighbors and serving those around us, when we are like our member, Tanya Aguilar, who is out there helping the underserved of our communities find ways to get a COVID vaccine, when we are doing things like that, then we have the right to say, I do this because I believe in Jesus, the only one who can save us from our sins. That is not arrogant. That is honest. That is conviction. That is living out our mission in a pluralistic society. There is no other name under heaven or earth by which we must be saved. Let me end with one story and one quote. I'll actually begin with the quote. It's a quote from a man by the name of Penn Jillette. Penn Jillette is one half of the magician's group, Penn and Teller. 
And Pendulet is a devout atheist. The, the cars on his license plate say, are atheist, godless, and no God. He jokes that he asked the DMV to give him the license plate infidel, but they refused to do so. Even though Gillette is a devout atheist, he said something that is convicting to us as Christians. He said on his podcast, he told the following story on one of his podcasts that, oh man, I just messed up again. Sorry, I'm trying to do it without looking at my notes at all. Okay, take four, last one. Take four. Let me end with one story and a statement from a man by the name of Penn Gillette. Penn Gillette is one half of the magician's group Pin and Teller. Now, Penn Gillette is a known devout atheist. He's written books on atheism. His, his license plate's on his car. He has three cars with the license plate, atheist, godless, no God. He said he wanted the license plate tag infidel, but the DMV refused to let him have such a moniker on his license plate. Pendulette on his podcast shared the following uh, statement or story. He said that after one of his shows, a man who, who was aware of his atheism came up to him and gave him a Gideon Bible. Gillette said that, that he could tell in the man's countenance that, that the man truly cared about him. And so he was not offended at all by what this man had done. Gillette then said this. He said, I know that some say that there's, Christians should not proselytize. They should not try to convert people. He said, here's what I say to that. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. People who believe that there is a heaven and a hell and that other people could be going to hell or not getting to eternal life or whatever they say. And then those people think that, that well, it's not really worth telling someone else about this because it would make it socially awkward. He's talking about Christians there who, who say, you know what, I don't want to say anything to this person. I don't want to want to tell them anything about my God because it could make it socially awkward. He says, I don't respect people like that. How much, he then asked this question, listen to this, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus. How much do we have to hate our neighbor? How much do we have to hate our world? How much do we have to hate our coworker to, to never say, I believe that Jesus is the only way? I've told my conversion story many times here. A part of it, though, I might not have shared as much is something that happened six or seven months before I actually accepted Jesus. We as a school, or our class actually, was on a, an outdoor, I guess it was our school, on an, having outdoor school. We were sleeping in cabins, and I was in a cabin with all my friends, my best buddies. 
And one night, I think everyone had basically fallen asleep, and, and my friend Greg Taylor and I were talking about random things. And, and out of the blue, Greg said to me, Chad, can you tell me what you think about Jesus? And I told him, Greg, I don't think anything about Jesus. And if you ever bring up this subject with me again, that will be the end of our friendship. I said it very directly and emotionally. And Greg was silent. Greg told me years later that, that when I said that to him, he, he got scared. He was worried about our friendship. But he also told me that, that, that he was scared that it might impact his other friendships as well, that he would lose friendships. Because to put it succinctly, I was known at times to not be a nice person. And so he thought I was a dominant voice in our friend group. If, if he pushed too hard on this with me, that, that not only would he lose my friendship, but he might lose the rest of his friends as well, that I would turn them against him. But you know what? Greg loved me enough. And he saw in my life he saw in me that, that without Jesus, there was no hope for me. And so Greg started taking every opportunity to tell me about Jesus. To bring up Jesus. And so I took every opportunity to mock Greg's faith in Jesus. I took every opportunity to try to discourage others from participating in Greg's Bible studies. I took every opportunity to tease and to make fun of Greg for, for being dependent so much upon Jesus. I even one time when he and another girl in our class stood up and gave praise to Jesus, I was so mean to them that the girl ran out of the room crying. And yet Greg loved me enough to continue to tell me, Chad, there is no other way in this earth than the way of Jesus. And because he loved me that much, that is why I am here today. Brothers and sisters, how much do we have to hate the world, to shy away from saying Jesus is the only way. On the other hand, brothers and sisters, do we love others enough to tell them there's no other way but Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll help us to have the courage of the disciples who even though they'd been thrown in jail, immediately they start talking about Jesus again. Even though they're told to never talk about Jesus again, they again say we can do nothing but talk about Jesus. Lord, help us to have the courage of Ed Stetzer who, who raised his hand and said, you know what, I can't participate in this because, because I don't want all these other faiths to grow. I only want the kingdom of Jesus to grow. 
Help us to have the courage of that man who gave Penn Jillette, a, a devout atheist, a Bible, so that he could learn about Jesus. Help us to have the courage of my friend Greg, who loved me enough to tell me, Chad, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Lord, you have given us the gift of Jesus. Lord, work in us that we'll have the courage and the love to give it to others, to give you to others, to share with you, share you with others. We thank you, Jesus, in your name and by your power. Amen.